Live from Canton, Ohio, at the Walk Worthy Moody Men's Conference, it's Ed Stetzer Live. Wow. Wow. It's just spontaneous applause here at the Walkworthy Men's Conference. There wasn't staff up front waving everybody to applaud. We're glad you're here. This is Ed Stetzer Live. I'm Ed Stetzer, and uh, we're actually in basically, we call it it's Cleveland-ish, but it's Canton, Ohio. And uh, we're here at a men's conference. So we're actually looking right now at uh, about 1,000 men here in the room. We've got people watching at different sites online, including one at Lorraine Correctional Institute. We're super thankful for those uh, men who are joining us as well. We've had a great conference thus far. Uh, Mike Fabares has preached already. I've uh, been exhorted to multiple levels, and we have Mark Job going to be just a little bit later uh, after lunch. It's actually noon here. We recognize you listening at different times and time zones across the country, and some of you listen online via podcast. And let me remind you, as always, you can go to edstetzerlive.com, click through to the Moody Radio app, and all of our Moody Radio programs are available to you as a podcast. Again, we're not just uh, uh, on certain times at certain stations. We're available to you with resources here at Moody Radio all the time. So again, we're, we're going to be talking about men. We're going to be talking about, uh, about what it means to be a man, a man in this culture, in this context where we find ourselves. It ties in perfectly with the theme that we've been talking about here at the conference as well. So we have, as I mentioned, we have, for those of you listening on radio, we have a thousand people here in the room. Some of them are going to bring questions as well, but we also have guests. And let me tell you about my two guests today. We love to have guests each and every week. Um, Mark Job, Dr. Mark Job, serves as president of the Moody Bible Institute and host of Moody Radio's Bold Steps, which you probably listen, many of you listen here on these uh, Moody Radio stations, our partners and affiliates. He's the author of Unstuck, Out of Your Cave and Into Your Call. He's the founding pastor of New Life Community Church, a Chicago-based ministry with 27 locations throughout Chicago, and so thankful to have him here on the program again. He's a returning guest. Uh, Dr. Uh, Mark uh, Fabares is the founding pastor of Compass Bible Church in South Orange County. You can't just rename me like that. I did? <laughs> what did I do wrong? Fabares. We already have, we have one Mark over here. Oh, I said we Mark? Did I say Mark? Words. Oh, my gosh. I've been called worse. Well, okay. by, by me. Uh, and Mike. I can't believe I said Mark. Anyway, my, this is what happens with live radio, but Mike Fabares, I was so focused on getting Fabares is right. I just I went with you Mark. He's the founding pastor of Compass Bible Church. We are now neighbors as I'm moving to Orange County, but he's been in pastoral ministry for over 30 years, dynamic Bible teacher, passionate about the gospel. Mike's heard on hundreds of radio stations across the country on the Focal Point radio programs, authored several books, including what we'll talk about today, Raising Men, Not Boys. So again, with the help of the studio audience, let's, let's welcome our radio guests. There you go. There you go. You should be, if you're driving in your car right now, don't take your hand off the wheel, but maybe just clap the wheel if you're doing that as well. Okay, so we've been talking, we're here at the Walkworthy Men's Conference. It's something we do pretty regularly. Uh, Mike, you, you spoke before. Mark, you were all regular here. I've spoken before uh, because we believe that um, God has a calling on men's lives. Uh, we believe that we want to uh, do what the writer of Hebrews says, to provoke them to love and good deeds. But also, too, we would just acknowledge that being a man, living faithfully in 2023, is just maybe more complicated than it was 100 years ago or even 20 years ago. So let's talk some about that. Let's talk some about this culture, and I'll go first to Mark and then to Mike. Uh, but what, when you look at the culture today, Mark, what are some of the challenges and the difficulties of task is living as a godly man in today's culture? Yeah, you know, Ed, I think it's always been tough when I first came to the little 
church plant that I started, there was 18 people. And I remember asking myself, where are the men? Because I think sometimes men and spirituality haven't always in our culture risen there. But I think it's even more complicated nowadays. I have a son that's a 29-year-old pastor, and we've talked about this. Um, there's a redefinition of manhood. There's a confusion about manhood. There's an assault, really, on sexuality, definitions, probably like never before. So this is a very unique time to be uh, um, just living as a believer, but even more complicated as a man and really as a woman as well. Yeah. Mike, I'm, I'm struck by just when moving to Orange County in L.A., and it's a different vibe than Chicagoland, but uh, the pervasiveness of, of sexuality and sensuality in where we live and really that California culture influences so much of the rest of the world. I, I want you to address the question of that Mark sort of touched on. But before we get to that, are there other ways that you would say it's uniquely challenging in living as a man faithfully in 2023? Well, I think it has something to do with what you just said. Even in our culture in Southern California, there are a lot of things that are focusing on our comfort, our convenience, our pleasures. And uh, I think at large, the culture has made it easier to to be slack, to be lazy, to be, uh, you know, playing games our whole life. You know, back in the day, think about our great-grandparents. I mean, they didn't have much time to goof off because uh, they wouldn't eat if they, didn't, if they didn't work, right? And I think men in particular have special temptations uh, to be boys their whole life, uh, you know, and I do think that there's a lot of opportunities for us today that I think uh, generations previous didn't have to just waste away our, our lives. God wants us to step up and lead and work and do the things that he's tasked us to do in scripture. And uh, we, we live in a day where I think we can squander uh, all of that just by uh, occupying ourselves with a, with a tiny uh, you know, smartphone mm, in yeah. the corner. Oh, it can be overwhelming. So you talk, in Raising Men, Not Boys, that's the book that, that Mike wrote. Um, talk to me a little bit about what your concern there was and what the path you're trying to lay out is. Well, it's funny. I was uh, asked by a man who had some connections to say, you know, he got to know my two boys. Both my boys um, trained for ministry. I, both my sons are, are pastors now. And he said, you know, you, whatever you did there, you need to try to put in print to help other people. And that was the first time I ever thought about, I don't know, what did I do? All I can think of is try to replicate in their home life what I've been doing in the pulpit for men for generations or generations, decades, one generation, uh, but my kids and then my peers trying to tell them uh, we've got a job to do, right? God's tasked us with work all the way back to the garden, right? He's, he's got work for Adam to do. He's got leadership for him to accomplish. He's got goals for him to meet. And I just wanted, uh, I wanted to put that in print because I was challenged to do it, that we would see more people rise up to meet their potential, which I think today it's easy to not reach your potential as a leader, as a man, as someone who's uh, protecting and providing and guarding and doing all the things that I think we have a special challenge to do and a special temptation to uh, uh, to, to, to lax off and not do it, mm -hmm. right? To be someone who, who abdicates that role. Yeah, the book, the book by the way, is called Raising Men, uh, Not Boys, forward by, uh, by Josh McDowell. And, and in there, you talk about um, what it means to look like um, 
a, a grown man, you actually say there's an epidemic of grown men with the maturity of young boys. And it, it seems to me that, that we're trying to find that space where we have maturity and responsibility, where we act like men, to use the biblical reference. Yet at the same time, there seems to be um, unhealthy models of what it looks like to, 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 to try to be so driven by our, um, an inappropriate expression of manhood. I mean, the world calls that toxic masculinity, but sometimes just anything that's masculine is offensive to some people. So, so how do we, and Mark, I'll go to you. So how do we, in 2023, kind of walk in a world where uh, masculinity is up for debate, where questions about what manhood is and is not are all before us, without being driven by cultural stereotypes on one side or the other, but actually biblical values? Talk to me about that. Yeah. And that's, and that's huge. I think the focus is on what is biblical manhood. There you go. Um, I pastor in the city of Chicago, and um, the definition that some of the men coming from sort of the street rough backgrounds, their definition, definition of manhood would be very far from biblical masculinity. It has to do with power and abuse and uh, leadership uh, in, in the wrong ways. And so a biblical masculinity really defines a character of God. Yeah, we lead. Yeah, we protect. Yeah, we step up to responsibility. But we love, we serve, we have that, uh, that, that father heart of God. And so I think that some people view biblical masculinity as this soft, um, just... Uh, someone that can't really stand up, someone that can't lead, sort of the, the meek, emphasizing the meekness part of it, and some people emphasize the other part of it. There's a, a, a good biblical balance, I think, manifest in the person of Jesus that we need to embrace again. It's good. It's good. And, and also, too, to recognize that we all have different personalities as well. So I'm going to live out biblical manhood differently. I don't, you guys have sons. I, don't, I had all daughters. You know, girls rule is what we say around our house. <laughs> and, you know, it's a different, a different reality than raising sons, right? And so, uh, you know, so, and, and we have different personalities as well. This person has this kind of extrovert or introvert or whatever else it may be. So one of the challenges we sort of, when we impose this is what it looks like rather than what ultimately it looks like when it's lived out in the fruit of the Holy Spirit as well. Well, okay, we're going we're gonna to take a pause for just a second. And, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation. Uh, and we're going to talk with uh, Mike and Mark about, and take, take your questions as well. We're going to talk about what manhood looks like. How can we kind of walk some of the paths of what manhood would actually be lived out as well. So, and, and again, we're going to take questions live from our studio audience here as well. We're not doing phone calls today, studio audience. Here we go. Uh, we're not doing phone calls today, but we are going to take calls live live or questions live right here. Going to continue our conversation here on Ed Stetcher Live in just a moment. Stay with us. As believers in Jesus, we know our citizenship on earth is actually temporary, but the days can be challenging navigating a world in cultural decline. A.W. Tozer brings help and encouragement in his book, Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. He tackles the how-to of confronting and battling worldliness while we live in anticipation of heaven. Be better equipped to take on each day. Read Culture, Living as Citizens of Heaven on Earth. Your copy is at moodypublishers.com.
And we're back at Stetzer Live. We're coming to you live from Canton, Ohio, having a conversation right here in front of a thousand men at the Walkworthy Men's Conference. My name's Ed Stetzer. I'm your host. I serve as the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. I'm a professor and dean at Wheaton College, but in a few months, transitioning to go be near Mike uh, out in the uh, far west coast, and I'll be serving as the new dean at Talbot School of Theology, Talbot Seminary. So we're excited about that as well. Looking forward to partnering with Moody Bible Institute and many other wonderful opportunities that are there. So we're talking about men. We're talking about manhood. We're talking about what the Bible says. We're talking about what the culture says. Uh, one, one more question to you guys, and I want to go to some questions that we have right here, uh, right here on the floor at the Walkworthy Men's Conference here in Canton, Ohio. Um, what, are, are you encouraged, Mike, discouraged? Is there a mix about where men are standing up, standing out, and standing in the gap today? And what, what might you encourage people to take those next steps to grow as godly men? Well, I'm encouraged in part that we see, I think, a move toward at least recognizing our need. And I see some steps in that direction. But I think what we need to remember is the need for standing strong, being firm, not backing down, not equivocating on the, on the issues that are going to matter. Uh, that's only going to get worse. It's going to get harder for us to stand up. Yeah. And I think we need to know there's no, there's no middle ground on a lot of the issues that the culture is going to force. And so we better be brave, we ought to be courageous, and we've got to decide ahead of time before the difficulties and the persecution ramps up that this is where we stand, we can do no other, and we're not, we're not moving off of what we know is God's, God's truth. And so we need more manly leadership, I think, in churches and in homes and all throughout our culture. Mark, how would you see that lived out? In what way would we exercise some of that courage? Are there certain attributes you'd suggest? Yeah, I would say, Ed, I'm hopeful about the future. Yeah, good. At the same time, I think the pressing need right now is for seasoned, mature, godly leaders that are willing to mentor and speak into the life of a next generation that's arising. Generation Alpha, 18 and under, have more uh, pressures to conform, more confusion about sexuality, biblical manhood, probably than others have. And so I think this is a time not to bemoan, throw rocks, say, deplore how terrible this young generation is. This is really the time for godly leaders to lovingly uh, take the time to mentor and speak into the lives of the next generation. Let me piggyback please, on that please. for a second. I just think that's exactly... Um, a reflection of the, the countercultural mindset of running through the tape even in our lives. In other words, we, we often work for the weekend, right? We work so that we can rest, right? We, we work during the day so we can get off at night and relax. If you see your life that way to where I can finally be 65, 70 and tell kids to get off my lawn and, and just watch the news all day and say everything's terrible. Or we can work right on through the tape, right? And we need an older generation to invest right, in a younger generation and, and, and ho in a hopeful way. Mm -hmm. So that Paul, who's got Timothy and Silas and all these guys yeah. around him, uh, he can say, I finished the race because he kept on investing to the very end. Yeah, mm -hmm. That's good. And so we heard the word courage. Uh, we heard doing so lovingly. We heard investing in the next generation. And I would say, too, I would add to the conversation that as the world is increasingly confused about, uh, about men and women, increasingly confused about uh, culture and how we relate to one another, 
that when we follow God's standard, God's intent, and God's design, when the world's approach continues to collapse in on itself, they'll be able to look and say, well, this, this is what an alternative looks like. Again, in my talk, I talked about standing up, standing out, and standing in the gap, calling men to do that as well. Okay, so we've got folks here live on the floor here at the Walkworthy Men's Conference, part of our Moody Conferences. So we're going to go to our first question at our first microphone. You are up. If you wouldn't mind, introduce yourself, your name, where you're from, and then go on with your question. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Alex Weber, and I'm from West Salem, Ohio. And you guys kind of answered my question. Oh, but, no. <laughs> but to, to emphasize the practicality of yeah, the question yeah. is kind of what I'm going for. Yeah, go for it. So in a culture where biblical masculinity is being challenged, leadership, sacrifice, uh, and protection, how can we stand in the gap and stand up for biblical manhood practically? You said leadership, sacrifice, and protection. I love that you put those things in there. Let's talk some about that. He talked about masculinity and manhood. And so what are some practical ways? Let's start with you, Mike. You wrote the book on the subject. Well, I just think we can't, um, we can't pigeonhole that profile, which you've already touched on in our minds, that that means we've got to, uh, you know, our, all our kids have to play on the football team, and, you know, we've got to drive a big, you know, jacked-up four-wheel drive truck, and, you know, we've got to be working out every morning. It, it's, there's not a profile of what this uh, manliness and courage looks like, but it's a stewardship of saying that we take our responsibilities seriously, whether my kid's the quarterback on the football team or the, the captain of the, of the chess club, right? He's, he's, he's thoughtful. He cares. He's focused on what God has called him to do. He's faithful. He carries out what his responsibilities are. And of course, as Dr. Job just said, Christ was the ultimate example of serving. He saw his life as, as being laid down for the good of other people. But that took a lot of faithfulness, a lot of courage, a lot of strength. We need endurance, and we need to see our lives as not our own just so that we can find things around us that make us more, makes us more comfortable and makes life more convenient. We, we need to work. We've got time to rest. We're going to enter into our rest at the end of our lives and step into eternity. Right now, it's time to work, and I think that's part of what it means to be a, a man, masculine. You, you have to work your job as a steward before God and, and not let off the gas pedal. Yeah, no, notice that, that if you're listening, Mike didn't point to, matter of fact, he pushed away from cultural stereotypes of masculinity. So, so I don't think either you or I are sports fans, right? So, but you know, it's that, does that make us less so? I mean, I, I, I raised daughters, so I, I did far more tea parties than anything else. Does that, what does that mean? So I think one of the realities is, is that sometimes it's very easy to mix up uh, cultural stereotypes with biblical teaching about manhood and more. Mark, you, you touched on that, but unpack that a little bit more, maybe in, in response to, to his question. What are some markers, some steps, some practical ways, is the term he used, that we can grow in biblical manhood? Yeah, I think one of the most practical ways to grow in biblical manhood is, how many fathers do we have in the house here? Raise your hand. Yeah. yeah. So a For lot those of you fathers. listening by radio, people are raising yeah, their hands. Ton, sons of fathers. <laughs> so, you know, I, I have two sons. Uh, one's 29, one's 24. And when, when they were in their early days, I thought, wow, someone needs to mentor these yeah. kids. Someone needs to mentor. So no, I just, my understanding of what sons is, you just give them sticks and let them hit each other and work everything out. Is that not how it worked? That was not My how it worked with did, three dogs. did a little bit okay, of that. Right. But, you know, I, and at first I tried to get a, a mentor. Then I started, started thinking, I should be doing this. So, you know, you have good intentions. We're going to make it serious, but it never, you never kind of nail down the time. But I, I nailed down a system 
I got a couple other kids. They were about 16 years old. I started with my, my oldest son. And I said, he'll be out of the house when he's 18. What do I need? What does he need to know as a young man to be able to survive? I made a list of about 20 things. And we started to get together on Saturday morning with three of his friends around the same age. We can call it discipleship because that's what it was. But how to walk in purity, how to date a girl, how to uh, study the Bible, how to stand up under peer pressure, all those things that really you just need to dialogue about. And um, that continued on really until his college days. Here's the side effect. My other son, who was five years younger, he kept saying, Dad, when can I get mentored? Mm. When can I get mentored? So they started to view it as the passage to adulthood, to manhood. I got smarter my second time around, and I invited another father with his son, and I realized that my boys needed to see other men of God, other men of God, not besides their father, other men of God, uh, talking in an unvarnished way about sexuality, purity, temptation, standing up, speaking into their lives. And, and I, believe, I believe that that's one of the best things that we can do. You say, well, my kids are grown already. If you're a grandfather, how many grandfathers do we have in the house here? For those who are listening on radio, people are raising their hands There's, in the room. Listen, your job is not done. In fact, you may have more influence now because you don't have to do all the discipline, all the hard work. You could just do the fun stuff. But your grandkids, your, your grandsons, they need your input. Yeah. You talked, Mark, a little bit about um, issues of sexuality, conversations you had with your kids. Um, we, we recognize that today in this world, there's just a flood of, uh, of, of wrong thinking, uh, or, you know, pornography, different ways of thinking about sexuality. Um, how, how, do you, how did you surface those things? And then, Mike, I want you to kind of follow up and talk about how do you teach these issues in and around your church. But start with you. How do you, you talk, talk with your sons about these things? Talk about Yeah, them. so I, I've, I've mentored quite a few of uh, young men, young leaders over the years. A huge part of what our conversation is around uh, sexual temptation, lust, pornography, all those things. You cannot mentor young men without diving uh, deep into this topic. And I always start with this. I always start by saying, listen, I know sometimes in the church you hear, no, no, don't, don't, bad, bad. And I, I always start with this. Sexuality is beautiful. God gave you the desire um, for a woman and uh, that is a God-given gift. Beautiful. Celebrate it. Now, let's talk about the containment of it. And let's practical things like uh, with my boys, I had them, the smartphones, they were not allowed to have it in the room. They had to charge it in the hallway because late at night with a cell phone. By the way, if you have, you have kids, let me just say, your 12-year-old uh, grandson or son um, has already been exposed to pornography. Almost always. And so this has to be a robust dialogue with a healthy view of sexuality, but also um, I, I think that's part of discipling wholeness in the boys that were training and leading. I'm going to go to the question on the floor in just a minute more, but Mike, I want you to weigh in a little bit. How do you teach um, men uh, and, and, and encourage them towards sexual purity in your church and your ministry? Well, I, I like what Dr. Job just said. You can't pretend it's not a problem. You can't pretend it's not a draw and a, a snare. I mean, it's one, of, it's one of Satan's biggest snares. So you've got to confront it head on. And I think so much like we see in the failure of parents to want to always 
protect, and by protect, they pretend that these aren't issues, right? Our kids are arrows. We're launching them into the next generation, right? They're not going to be living in my, my house when they're 30, right? They, I hope, Hopefully. right? The goal is <laughs> goals, to, is goals to right launch there. them. And, and to do that, I just, I have to stop with this mentality that I just want to cherish this little Norman Rockwell picture around my kitchen table. I just want them to stay children forever, and I never want you to get married and live. It's like, we, we, we should be anticipating their future every day. Good. We ought to be thinking of them at, at 35 every day with all the temptations that every 35-year-old has. How am I getting them ready for that? Well, you got to talk about it, right? And in the pulpit, you got to talk about it. In church, you got to talk about it. In your discipleship, one-on-one relationships, in your men's small groups, we have a big men's ministry. We want everyone involved in our men's ministry who's a man who, who is concerned about righteous living, right? Walking worthy, being holy. And, and we just got to get honest in those conversations, right? We can't act like, you know, my temptation is unique to me. There's no temptation, right? Except that which is common to man. Mm -hmm. So we have to talk about those issues and be honest and keep each other accountable with an openness, not pretending they don't exist. Good, good, good. We're going to go to the floor. Keep in mind, the, quest the questions will be mixed by different topics. Uh, we've got about a minute for you to ask your question. I'll probably answer it on the other side, but go, go ahead and get started. Tell me your name and where you're from. I'm Dustin Gingrich from Minerva, Ohio. Good deal. Go ahead with your question. Um, so I'm a newly married man. I got married in January. Um, my wife is actually listening right now, so... No pressure. No <laughs> pressure. Tatiana. <laughs> um, but I want to be the best husband that I can be yeah. for my wife, so um, I've received a lot of counseling, and I'm sure there's always good advice, I could, new advice I could receive. So um, what are some of the biggest hurdles I could be expecting in my marriage, and... Um, or some of the best ways to possibly overcome those. Can I just say how thankful I am for your question? What a great question, and what a great time. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Folks here appreciate that. I do as well. Um, and I think that's a great conversation to have. We have, we have I mean, you've been married less than a year? Uh, yeah, less than two months. Well, less than two months. <laughs> it's just all hearts and sunshine right now for you, isn't it? Okay, we're going uh, to answer that question in just a moment. We're going to continue our conversation uh, with uh, Mark Job and Mike Fabares in just a moment as well. Let me remind you, this is Ed Setzer Live. We're broadcasting live from the Walkworthy Men's Conference here in Canton, Ohio. And we're going to continue our conversation and address the issue of marriage. Maybe you want to share, text somebody, say, hey, listen to this program. It's live, and we're going to be talking about marriage and more. We'll continue our conversation in just a moment. the spontaneous applause that takes place when we come back from every segment. I wonder if it's what they do, like on The Price is Right or stuff like that. They must. They're always applauding. But you guys are so nice to us. Sitting in front of a thousand men who are just excited about Jesus and excited about what we're doing here. It's just a joy. So thanks to the team here, the whole team here that's putting together the Walkworthy Men's Conference. This is a key part of what Moody does and part of Moody Conferences as well. I'm so thankful for all the teams that are there. Okay, so Dustin got up here two months married, and said, I, I need some advice. What do I need to do to get started well? Um, what, you know, what does it mean to be the kind of husband that God calls me to do, uh, to be? So let's, let's start with uh, Mark Job. And wait, maybe we should go by who's married the longest. I don't even know. Let's, let's do a quiz. How long have you been married? 36. 36? 
I Come think on. 36. You think 36? You gotta know. <laughs> this is not a women's conference. <laughs> oh. Well, I hope your wife's not listening to the radio program because I'm. Sure. <laughs> I know the date. May 31st. 19 what? 1980. 86. Six. Six. Yeah. And so you got. I got married in 87. June. Of so you. So he's got married the longest. So we're gonna go to Mike yeah. first. Oh, I was married the longest. Well, Dustin. Like? Dustin, wherever you are. As the sage among the three yeah. up here. Because <laughs> he'd be married like 11 months longer oh, than us. Yes, that's right. Well, here, here's what I'm going to say, and it's not very uh, romantic, um, but I'll tell you what, it, it, my, this is my wife saying, speaking of my wife, she'll be proud I'll quote this, one of the biggest problems in, in marriage that causes disillusionment and trouble, it's not an elegant illustration, but it, it's like having two ticks, right? But no dog. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm very alarmed to where this is going. I don't, you, I'm hoping there's an explanation to this, because so far it's not going well. But with your pause, it's making it worse. So we'll quickly rush to the next part. See, what we need right, is that third party. The whole point of, of, of Christian marriage right, is not just about us trying to find fulfillment and happiness and significance in each other. Right? It's about us pursuing the Lord together. As a matter of fact, in the one book of the Bible that's all about the celebration of sexual joy, uh, the Song of Solomon, look how often he calls her my sister, right, and my friend. Uh, we're together walking through life as partners, right? We're not trying to find all our meaning and significance in our marriage. We're trying to find our meaning and significance in Christ, in our case, in following the Lord, in, in fulfilling our role in this world that he's called us to. We just happen to be doing it as the closest partners, right? And that, to me, helps us then from just saying, hey, here's the eight principles that'll make your marriage the most joyful, happy, satisfying relationship ever, right? The world's full of disappointment. In a fallen world, your marriage is going to be filled with some disappointment. So we got to get used to that, knowing the only real hope we have is entering into the kingdom prepared for us from the foundation of the world where there'll be no crying, no weeping, no mourning, no tears. Between now and then, I'm working that goal out of serving the Lord, and I have someone next to me, we're shoulder to shoulder following the path that God has laid out for us. And I think not trying to find too many interior, you know, joys that are, are transcendent within ourselves. And I think that's, that's critically important. So we need, it's not, the illustration falls apart on several levels, right? God's not a dog, but you get the point. Yeah. We need to get our nourishment yeah. from the Lord. I would just exhort you to find another yeah, metaphor. Yeah, well, that's her um, illustration. So I think I'm you're... trying to honor my wife in this. <laughs> I'm not sure the ticks and the dog honored anybody. So <laughs> let's works. think of a new metaphor, maybe two plugs in the same outlet. I don't know what it is, but some, maybe if you, if you wouldn't mind, maybe write out some suggestions for Mike's for his, for his new I metaphor. I have a metaphor good, for good, Mark. I think this is a little bit, uh, so better is the word you were looking for. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Dustin, I think you, you said your wife's name is Tatiana. So, so here's the thing. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Because so many marriages right now, even after 20, 30 years, first of all, are ending in divorce. And secondly, those that stay together oftentimes are very broken. Um, someone gave me this picture, a train ride. You get on the train um, at a certain time, you and your, your, and your spouse, you get off, people get on and get off the train. You have your kids, you know, they're going to get off at some time or another we're empty nesters now, my wife and I, after 36 years. And um, I can tell you that this is a phenomenal season for us. I, I love this season um, because I'm not like looking around saying, oh, I'm stuck in a house with someone I don't like. We, we've cultivated that, but you have to invest in it. That's good. 
Um, the greatest mistake that men make, I believe, in the relationship with their spouse is the failure to nurture, make a priority, and invest in a relationship when there's job, kids, and so many other distractions. And then they wake up one day and say, what happened to us? We don't even like each other. We're, we, we have so little in common. But in the long run, you get what you have nurtured, what you have built into, what you have invested in. And so if I could say anything to Dustin, it's Dustin, at the end of the train, it's probably going to be you and your wife. Yeah. Invest now. Yeah. That train's a beautiful picture, unlike two ticks on a dog. Uh, <laughs> but you, you, you made me picture having children on a moving train. That, so that you okay, overshare, overshare. Okay, so let's, uh, let's move on from that very quickly. Dustin, let me add as well. So as, as I think everyone's here been married for long term. We're all 35, 36 years married. Um, one of the things, I'm, we just became empty nesters too. So we are, our kids went off to college. We sold our house and moved to California so they can't come home. So um, <laughs> is, that, is that wrong? Is that wrong? No. Should I have not verbalized that out loud? Uh, but uh, but we, I, love, I love our daughters. We have amazing daughters. But, um, but I will tell you that the empty nest is, is a joy. But one of the things for me, Dustin, is I've been married to f uh, five different women. They all have the same name and the same person. But, uh, but one of the things, too, is that the, 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 the young lady I married at 20, we got married at 20 between our junior and senior year in college. We were high school sweethearts, went to the prom together, the whole nine yards, got married at 20. And that Donna's very different, and there's been four other versions of Donna, and there have been five other versions of Ed during that time. And marriage is a, to, to kind of paraphrase Eugene Peterson, it's kind of a long commitment in the same direction. Mm. And we're just committed to one another and walk through that. And I will tell you, marriage is a great joy. It, don't misunderstand. It's not, it, Mike said, it's, it's challenging. It's a broken people walk through brokenness. Nobody gets through this broken world unbroken. But what a, what a great question, Dustin. We are cheering you on as you begin that marriage journey. You've got applause from the audience here as well. Okay, so let's go back to the floor. It's, tell me your name and where you're from, and then go ahead with your question. Well, I am Steve Gersovich from Chagrin Falls, Ohio. Hi, Steve. And this is a multi-part question. What is it okay for us to be angry about, yeah. and how is it okay for us to show that anger when the culture targets our kids and grandkids. Yeah. What does it look like to stand in the gap for them in a gospel-centered way? And how can those of us who are church leaders speak into these issues that are impacting our kids and our families from the culture? That's a great series of questions. There's three on there. Uh, would you, Trisha, bring that card up here so we can make sure we cover them all. Thank you for that question. It's a great question. So Mark, let's go to you. So, I mean, there are things that, that uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm angry about the way we uh, treat the or devalue the unborn in our culture. I'm angry about how the confusion about gender and sexuality impacts the next generation and more. How do I, to get to his question, let me read it as well. When's it okay for us to be angry and how do we show that in a way that's appropriate and godly? Yeah, let me give you an illustration of that. So a couple months ago, I'm in church uh, during the week when we have our youth group and a bunch of small groups and a youth leader brings a young boy up to me, and he said, hey, pastor, there's a little problem. This young boy, 14 years old, went into the women's bathroom and uh, came out because he identifies as a woman. And so a lady in the woman's bathroom kicked him out, said, this is, hey, this is a women's bathroom, kicked him out. So the youth leader was a little bit confused, and so this kid is unchurched, first time to church. So, so let me tell you, 
Um, we can become angry at the confusion, at the disorientation, at some of the just utter damage that's done, but that anger should not be directed towards a 14-year-old that's utterly confused. And so um, I said, hey, I'm so glad you came. Um, I found out he's not churched, and I said, I'm so glad you're here. We're really happy you're here. And, um, you know, we're, we're a church, and so we have a certain guidelines. There is a bathroom over there that is, a, it's a neutral bathroom. It's a family bathroom. You can use that bathroom. And um, we really want you to come back, and so happy you're here. Um, and uh, so here's a group that you could go to. So I think we need to be angry at what, is, what, what some of our society is imposing, but we need to show extreme compassion and empathy and discipleship to those that are caught in the midst of this uh, confusion. Because I think where the church goes wrong is when we target people that are in misunderstanding and brokenness and they become our enemies. And uh, we, we do more damage to the, to the gospel of the kingdom of God when we're not approaching with empathy, love, compassion, and healing um, on our part. Okay, we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment, but I want to also, I want to come back to that when we do, uh, because I, I want to talk about what that looks like, because I mean, again, the part of Steve's question is, how can church leaders speak into these issues that are facing our families from culture? And so we're going to talk about that as well. We're going to go ahead and roll, uh, Courtney, and we'll continue our conversation in just a moment. And Mike, I want to come back to you as well, because I think it's important that we choose how to speak well into this cultural moment, uh, and I don't think Christians have always done particularly well, but we see examples that are. Let's talk about what that looks like. We're going to continue our conversation with the questions here at the Walkworthy Men Conference in just a moment. Hey, we're back. Ed Stetzer live here on Moody Radio. Let me remind you, Moody Radio is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. And we're broadcasting, of course, across the country and uh, on Moody Radio partners and affiliates. And we're doing it live from the Walkworthy Men's Conference. I think I've listened to radio programs that are done live. I know on the radio it sounds a little different as well. Well, that sound of being in a big room is because we're literally sitting in front of a thousand men watching online, uh, a whole other, whole other groups watching online as well. But my guests are having a fascinating, and I think a helpful conversation with Dr. Mark Job. He is the president of Moody Bible Institute. Mike Fabares is a founding pastor of Compass Bible Church. Um, both of them have radio programs, Bold Steps for Mark Job, and a Focal Point Radio for Mike. And so we were, we were having some conversation, and Steve uh, from Westlake, Ohio, asked the question. Um, and, I, and I wanted to come back to, because uh, I'm really passionate about um, doing this well. And people always have opinions about how someone does or doesn't speak to these issues. Um, you know, how do church leaders speak into these issues that are facing our families from culture? So I, I wrote an article in USA Today when uh, one of our sister schools, you know, we're, uh, I'm at Talbot and Biola and, and soon, and Moody Bible Institute is, is connected here. But one of our sister Christian schools, Oral Roberts University, uh, ended up winning some sort of sporting competition, and they got in something called the March Madness and the Sweet 16. I had to Google it to learn what it was. Turns out it's a sports ball competition of great significance and import. And you remember them making, it's a Cinderella story. And everyone was like, we got to cancel them. They shouldn't be in there. 
because they held the same values that we teach at Moody Bible Institute, Wheaton College, where I currently serve, or Biola, where I'm going. And so I wrote an article in USA Today, um, you know, not exactly a friendly audience for a, advocating for a biblical position on sexuality. And I said, I said in there, you know, this is what this school teaches, this is what my school teaches, this is what Christians have thought and believed for 2,000 years, do we really want to run this out of culture and society? And some people ask me, why did you, why did you write that? Or why do you write on pro-life issues like I do? Because I think, now, you know, I'm a cultural commentator. I don't think every pastor should speak up on as much as I do. But there is a place and a time for pastors to speak up. Both of you are serving in local churches. I mean, I'm the teaching pastor now at Mariners, but not the lead pastor. But you guys are much more engaged. How and when do you choose to speak up on, because his question is, how do church leaders speak into these issues that are facing our families from culture? Mike, you first. Well, I do think you need to show that we're not happy with how things are in our culture, right? And, and that really was the initial question. Sometimes I think if you're upset with what's going on in the world, the anger part, you've got yeah. Christians saying, oh, you got to chill out. You got to relax. You shouldn't feel that way. God wants us to be joyful and happy. Mm -hmm. uh, I would remind you of what God says of himself in, in Psalm chapter seven, verse 11. Our, our God is a righteous judge, mm -hmm. a God who feels indignation every day. So here is a God looking at a broken world, a sinful world, a rebellious world, and, and he's not happy about it. Uh, Ezekiel 9, when things got terrible in the society in Judah, uh, the God sent an angel out to go mark everyone who groaned at the sin in the culture. And then those that were marked, they were saved from the, the judgment that God was bringing. Those in Israel who didn't groan, who didn't think it was a big deal, right, they were marked for God's to judgment and discipline. And I'm just saying this, if you feel okay with the way things are going, uh, then there's a problem. So a pastor is going to, in the pulpit, address things that are not okay, and sometimes he's going to feel indignation, and we can be rightly indignant about sin. Uh, but like Dr. Job said, I don't think that this needs to be that we're always the angry Christian all the time about everything. Our whole point is, right, in this world we'll have tribulation, Jesus said, but take heart, right? Be heartened, be bolstered. I've overcome the world. We have an optimistic message that the kingdoms of the world will one day become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So I know that we've got a message that says it's really bad now. We do groan. We're indignant. God is indignant. That means justified anger, but we are going to say, here, we've got a solution. Changing hearts, one person at a time, gets another person's name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We're preparing them for the kingdom. This is where we're headed, so this is good. We're an army fighting for what is right and what is good with a gospel message. You said gospel-centered. That means that our hope is not in this world. My hope is not to reform the world. It's to be salt and light, but I know the kingdom of God is coming. It's going to be replacing this world. I want to get people ready for that. So there's a lot of indignation, right, that's going to bleed through in the pulpit and in teaching, but there's also a primary characteristic of an optimistic hope that the Lord is coming to establish a kingdom. Mm, yeah. Good, good word. Mark Wojad, a little applause there. We're not, we don't normally have applause in the middle of the show. So no, I that's like that. great. I would, I think I would simply add this, and if you're a, a pastor, how many pastors do we have in the house? Now here? people are raising their yeah, hands. Yeah, okay, we got some pastors here. So no on radio. So I, I, I want to just challenge you pastors there's two extremes. One is we just avoid controversial issues all the way because we think uh, someone's going to get mad at me. Hey, welcome to ministry. Someone's going to be mad at you. Get in line. But I think we need to delve in because if you're not speaking about it, then they're getting their information from extreme sources yeah. out there that oftentimes are not, they're politically centered, but not gospel centered. That's so good. 
And so I believe that we need to, in a biblical, loving, yet firm, founding way, um, address these issues, the controversial issues that people are asking questions about. And so, um, because if you're not doing it, they're going to get it from somewhere else. I think one of the other mistakes that we do, and boy, this has been, especially the last couple of years, is that we either politicize things way too much, and so they become part of a political camp. And I think we do disservice to the gospel when we either put all of our hope in a political camp or get too, poli the, these are moral issues. Abortion is not a political issue, it's a moral issue. Yeah. Human sexuality, it's a biblical issue, not a political issue. So make sure these issues are, are not politicized. They, they play themselves out in the political world, but before they're political, they're moral issues that are addressed in Scripture. So we need to address them. Yeah, and I would say, too, that's important, too. We talk, you talk about sexuality. You talk about life. You talk about race. You talk about yeah. issues of how we treat people with the Imago Dei. Those are all theological issues, biblical issues, with political ramifications. Mm -hmm. um, and what I would say, too, I'd encourage you, too, to remember that you know, I think taxes, I'm moving to California, and can I just tell you, my taxes are too high in California. <laughs> but I promise you, I'm never going to preach on taxes in California because Jesus doesn't actually give us a teaching on what the right marginal tax rate is. He does speak to a whole lot of other things as well. So I would say, choose to go with what is going to be things that are in your, uh, in your theological and biblical lane, yeah. which might not be, I'm opposed to the toll roads. It might be, I'm going to speak up on issues of life. Yeah. We are at a short amount of time, young man. You think you can answer your, ask your question in a short amount of time? Go for it. You're up. Tell me your name, where you're from, and the question. My name is Eric Jeffries. I'm from Garfield Heights, Ohio. Go for it, man. I simply just want to know, what is a man not? What is a man not? Yeah. What is a man not? And so are you talking in terms of biologically or things that being man, a biblical man we want to avoid? Um... I guess biblical man. Okay, that's good. That's good. I mean, things like he's certainly not a fool. He's certainly not, uh, you know, and things of that sort. So, what what would you say? What are what are the things that we are going to avoid as men seeking to live out for the gospel? Well, well, let me say this. I think keeping in mind, we have about a minute. Yeah. Well, let me say this. I think this is uh, biblically traditionally understood, but I think it needs to be stated for this generation. Someone is born a male, um, so. By biology, you're born into maleness, but not necessarily into manhood. Uh, maleness is your birth. Manhood has to be developed in your life. And I think, yeah. Good. What, Mike, what do you want? What is it not? And I'm going to say it's not being timid. It's not being afraid. It's not lacking faith. Right? We need to trust. We need to be strong. We need to be courageous, not afraid. And not whiners and complainers. I just think that that's that shows a weakness and a, and a failure to step up in the light of uh, in the face of, of conflict or challenge. Yeah, and I think I think in a world today we need men, we need men and women. But this is a men's conference and a men conversation. We need men to stand up, to stand out, to stand in the gap, mm -hmm. to be those who will be uh, loving husbands if they're married. And we haven't talked a lot about singleness, but godly men who are walking in faithful singleness as well. We're deeply thankful for. We need them to speak into their communities, to be difference makers in their communities and more. And let me thank my guests, Dr. Mark Job and Mike Fabares for joining me today. Thank the behind the scenes team. My producer here at the Walkworthy Conference is Trisha McMillan. She's right up front in the crowd here. My team back in Chicago, Karen Hendren, producer, engineer, Courtney Young. To hear today's program again, go to edstetzerlive.com or the Moody Radio app. And connect with us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Ed Stetzer Live. Ed Stetzer Live is a production of Moody Radio, which is a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks to the Walkworthy crowd here in 
Canton, Ohio. God bless. Yeah.